going to try to convince me to save the world. Some of our ideas are a bit ambitious. I know how hard this is for you to hear. Government should be afraid of their people. You got the makings of greatness in you. What we do in life echoes in eternity. If you could see your whole life from start to finish. We would be given a choice to betray our chosen destinies. I have to believe in a world outside my own mind. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Love is the one thing that transcends dimensions of time and space. Are you watching closely? Welcome, my beautiful, wonderful listener to the Talking About Talking podcast, where we talk about everything and anything, and we talk about talking about those things. Today, I am joined by Dawn Nelson. She is a 36-time published author, a screenplay writer, and was a participant on Netflix's hit TV series, Outlast. Thank you for joining me, Dawn. Thank you for having me. Happy to. So, Dawn, a little bird told me that you were, uh, and and I mean, feel free to say move <laughs> on if you would like to move on, but uh, that you were dealing with some health stuff leading into being on this show that was not mentioned yeah no um <laughs> no uh what was it five and a half months prior to um filming i had found out i well back back even a year further i found out just during covid that um i had breast implant illness um after i had implants put in from breast cancer so um they had been recalled for killing women and so um i happened to Lucky me, I had the ones that were killing people. So um, I had to have them removed. But with COVID, I couldn't get them removed. And so, um, yeah, it was ridiculous. And finally, um, I had I was able to get them removed the year that we went out and filmed. And so, yeah. I was cut literally from hip bone to hip bone and um, armpit to armpit. And so healing up from all of that, um, I had a full deep flap procedure like five and a half months before I went out there, which they're saying, you know, don't do anything strenuous for six months after one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so much for don't do anything strenuous. So you actually had implants and it was because you had breast cancer before? Yeah, I had breast cancer 18 years ago. Okay. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was five and a half months pregnant with my daughter. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. So, and at the time I was like, I'm married, you know, I have a kid. I don't, I don't even want anything in, but they're like, oh, you're only 25 years old. You know, we probably should put something back in. And so I was like, they were the new, the best, the, you know, at the time they were the best. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, whatever, just do it. And, you know. So I find that so interesting that you said like, oh, you got the ones that kill people. Are there ones that don't kill people? Are there? So. I don't think so. If you put something foreign in your body, I think you're just you're just lining yourself up to someday have it recalled. Yeah, I I think you're right on that. And what I find so interesting about this is that I have used this as an example, because with the Talking About Talking podcast, one of the primary um, discussion points I make is changing of people's minds, like how people's minds change. I think it's a very interesting topic. And one of the things that I had changed my mind on that was pretty dramatic was breast implants, because I used to say that women should just get them if they're not already gifted because I thought psychologically they're beneficial for like if you want to get a good job if you want to get better tips at a job that you would get tips at if you want to get treated nicer like society's gonna treat you better if you got bigger boobs is just typically how it goes but yeah 
it was more that uh probably four or five years ago i started what you're what you went through that like breast implant poison i started wising up to that and becoming aware of it and i was kind of just going oh okay yeah that's not worth it yeah it's not and you know and now now they're telling us well every eight years you have to have them you know removed and and redone i'm like why do i want to put something in myself that eight years down the road i have to have another surgery i mean every time you go under any kind of anesthesia any time of anything you risk killing yourself so why do i want anything that i have to go in and have another surgery um or the chance of another surgery done Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make any sense to me of course i'm very like this is a very passionate subject if you can't tell because i'm like i was never told anything Mm -hmm. i was never told that the the it, you know, the risks that went along with this. In fact, the surgeon who put mine in, um, she contacted me off the books and said, you're one of the ones that had these in, you need to have them removed because she was a surgeon and she ended up not being able to come. I guess she retired from her practice due to her own implant illness stuff. Wow. So, yeah. So when you were getting them, she was, she was like, oh, we should put them in. We should put something in. And that yep. that's weird to me. Like we should put something in like if you were if you were agnostic or not sorry if you were uh, apathetic to it as the patient why was she so insistent that you had something yeah i don't know because i was like you know i i I don't know the moment my boobs ever started growing as a kid they were a curse from then on because i couldn't (laughs) get through the cat door anymore so children i don't care i mean i i live in sweatshirts i live on a ranch i mean like the cows really don't care if i look ergonomically correct or not yeah and neither do i that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said you grew up in a town of 25 people? Yes. Yeah, see, I'm in a town of 4,500. And I, I tell people that and they're like, wow, that's a small town. That's not a lot of people. 25 <laughs> people's a family. That's not a town. And you know what? And everybody knew everybody's business and everybody had an opinion about everybody's business. And, you know, as lovely as it was to know everybody and everybody know, you know, if you had a party, everybody came. Um, at the same time, it really wasn't that wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. You, you, like, go ahead. You couldn't get away with anything because if you yeah. tried to do something or if you spun your tires out or anything, you know, going through town, everybody would be calling your parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you say everybody, 25 people, like that's, that's a lot of people. It's <laughs> not a lot of people. It's in a small room, maybe. <laughs> Jesus. So you said you spent your childhood on a horse in the mountains. And, I did, yeah. And you were like three to four months in the wilderness by yourself. Can you elaborate oh, on that? Like, um, So as soon as like, well, as soon as summertime came, I was gone. Like if I stayed home, my mom and dad both worked as well as they ran the ranch and so my parents were very like we didn't owe anybody any money we didn't you know you didn't do those kind of things so like it would be a hard work and you know it's the epitome of every country singer's story okay my childhood you you got a pair of shoes a year you know for winter time you went barefoot or i got hand-me-downs for my brother or for like ever my mom thought i was a size eight you know to this day i'm still not a size eight shoe and my mom bought me size eight shoes all the time through growing up <laughs> i tell her she always told me i'd grow into them i've yet to this day to grow into a size eight shoe wow <laughs> maybe 
you. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I just, I, I took to the mountains. Um, we were, we were pretty poor. So my mom, um, I remember like I was wearing out the jeans cause I'd get my brother's hand-me-down jeans. And so I was wearing the crotch out because I wore, I rode bareback all the time. And so the horse sweat and stuff kind of wears your jean material away. And so my mom, she took and she, she got the old flower bags and then the gunny sacks. And so she took a pair of gunny sack, um, and cut them into pants for me, like knee high pants. And, and so sorry, gunny sack. sacks and, are uh, like you carry potatoes and stuff oh, okay. in there. Yep. Lap bag. Yep. So, um, yeah, so she did that. And so I had a pair of gunny sack pants that I wore for two years straight all summer. I would wear those and go to the mountains and, we washed in the river and, you know, I carried a, I had a 30-30 that I carried everywhere with me from the time I was nine years old. And we moved up to the, the ranch. A 30-30? A 30-30 rifle. Oh, a gun. Okay. All right. Yep. Yeah. I'm Canadian, a, so guns are not. I was in Canada. Oh, really? Nice. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. So, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I just carried it. I had a, a old leather strap that I carried it on my back and a knife in my pants and away I'd go. And I spent the whole summer up there. Grandpa always seemed to be able to find me, but we had shacks and stuff that you could stay in and there were old cabins. And then up across what we called little Alaska, which actually was on the Canadian side of the border. Um, there was an old mine shack up there and the door was off and one window was broke, but you just prop something up against there. And my horse and I, we spent lots of time up there in the summertime. So what would you eat? Anything I shot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So like, this is where you got your survival skills. Yeah. From the time I was nine years old. I mean, I was doing this. So, you know, and we live up on the range with the cows in the summer and stuff. And, you know, it was, it was crazy because like people actually, other, other children didn't do this. I thought this was something every child did. And so I didn't think it was anything crazy that I did it until I got to see that other people didn't live like this. And then all my friends, you know, as I got older and all my friends kept wanting to come stay with me for the summer, they'd borrow a horse and, you know, but their parents would get a little nervous if we were gone for more than a week at a time. Oh, but if you were gone for like two or three months, your parents didn't really care. No, because occasionally I'd check in with them. Oh, okay. But I, I was wild. And that was like the one thing growing up that I miss, you know, I mean, like girls nowadays, are, they say they're wild and it means they sleep around me. I was literally <laughs> feral. <laughs> means they sleep around. Oh, shots fired. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so re at the, at the very beginning of the show, there was, uh, a bit where you said I'm a hundred percent or a hundred and ten percent gonna win. Hundred and ten percent gonna win. Um I, I feel like we're both aware that you didn't know what you were in for when you made that statement. Yeah, but you know, to this day I'm still the only one who's never fired their flare. I mean, except for the winners, I've never fired my flare. What do you mean you never fired your flare? I never fired my flare in the whole entire show. I refuse to. <laughs> but you but you you tapped out though. So Oh well, that's what the story goes. <laughs> So how does that work? How did you tap out without firing your flare? I actually refused to. I told him I wasn't ever going to fire my flare and I didn't fire my flare. You, so so you're like, come pick me up. I'm not shooting it. Yep. I was <laughs> like, I refused to shoot it. <laughs> All right. I'm pretty sure production was like, just send her home. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the hill you want to die on, I mean, I guess there, 
they're like, whatever, we'll just edit in another flare. That's fine. That's what, that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, Joel did shoot the flare, you know, yeah. and stuff. But yeah, I refused to because it just there was just some stuff that I felt wasn't fair. So I, I was like, and you know, there's some stuff behind the scenes that you nobody gets to really know what, what happened. And, you know, it, it just, it, it made me mad that things were allowed to happen that happened out there to like Javier and stuff. Mm-hmm. And things were stopped. And so I think that's like, you can do anything you want to me and I'll stand up and I'll fight someone. But when they start picking on other people, that's when I get really like, like there was some behind the scenes stuff there that happened like at the end there that I was just like, nope, this isn't going to work because if I'm out here, I'm going to fire a lit, a lit arrow into their camp. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I do. Uh, I got so many questions about what you just said, but first you and Paul had some friction between each other. Yeah. We're two very different people. That And that's exactly uh, what he said, is you're very yeah, different people. We're I, very people. Can you recall how that friction started? Um, You know, I honestly, I think it kind of happened from day one. I realized about halfway through our thing there, we were all sitting around the campfire and talking. And there was a part there, he said, they're going to remember me as being a um, dumb hillbilly. Mm-hmm. And I said, they may remind you as be- remember you as being a hillbilly, but they won't remember you as being dumb. And he didn't understand what I was saying when I said it that way. And, you know, I get it. We're from two totally different types of the world. You know, I mean, whether you like to put it or not, when you, you're raised up where I was, you don't talk like everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, there was a lot of miscommunications between us. Um, I think there was some things that he, um, I, I, I'm not used to the sensitive type of guys. So, um, you know, like feelings got hurt. We're in a survival situation. And there was one part where I was like, we're surviving. Like part of me wants to say, suck it up, buttercup. But I realize I got to be more sensitive because we're in a, uh, you know, group thing. And he heard that and was like, you just want to say, suck it up, buttercup to me. And I was like, you didn't hear the whole thing. I said, I have to be more sensitive. I'm working on me here. This is a, this is a me moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you know, I mean, I am pretty much, I'm going to say it how I see it. And um, Paul's a very nice, sensitive guy. And I don't deal with a lot of sensitive guys. I grew up in a man's world. Um, you know, my dad mm-hmm. called me his right hand man. You didn't cry. If you got kicked by a horse, if you got trampled by bulls, you didn't cry. You jumped up and you got out of the corral and then you checked to see if anything was broken. And if it was broken, you bandaged yourself up so that we could get the job done. So, okay. I, well, yeah. what I find so interesting is that you both recall the same moment being the starting of the friction because that. That is exactly what he said yeah. caused the friction to start. But what's interesting is he said it differently. So he remembers I, it differently because yeah. the way you're explaining it is that you were, tr- it sounded like you were trying to say like, they're it not going to call you stupid, right? Right. It was, it was a compliment. Like they may call you a hillbilly because he was talking about the way he spoke. And I said, may I call you a hillbilly, but they won't call you dumb. Yeah. And I, yeah, he he remembers it. I, I know because we actually had this conversation out there because he thought I called him a dumb hillbilly. And I was yeah. like, you called yourself that. I said, you're not dumb. 
Yeah. So. The way he said it to me was that he said, I hope they don't call me a stupid hillbilly or put a title under me that is stupid hillbilly. And you yeah. said, well, that's what you are. And so that's how he remembers it. Yeah. Right? And I find it also interesting because it's just that's what this whole talking about talking thing is, is just the miscommunication yeah. is the is where conflict comes from. Right. It comes yeah. from misunderstanding. Yes, and, and you had no intention of hurting his feelings or being malicious no, towards him. No. In fact, I never I never realized we really had a problem cuz I had talked to Paul after that cuz it got a, he got kind of mean out there to the point that I went off in the woods and had a good old-fashioned cry. He was just being nasty. And so, um I just walked out in the woods by myself and, you know, that's that's the way I do it. I, I if somebody comes at me, that's just how I handle it. And you know, and he probably never even knew the things that he said that hurt or offended. But you know, I'm not a person to say, "Hey, you offended me." Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to pull it out to his face because we're in a survival situation. And I went into this. I think we also went into different mindsets. Like uh, to me, two hundred fifty thousand dollars is not life changing money. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars is something. It's a comfortable bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's not life changing money. It's not like winning the lottery of $10 million or something that, right. you know, $250,000 is a bill, sometimes a hospital bill for some people. Right. So, um, you know, I went into this, the only thing I wanted out of it, if I won is I was going to buy my husband a shop because he has sat by my side in all of my, I think I'm almost 30 surgeries now. And he has sat at my side and changed tubes and everything else for all these surgeries. So that was what I was going to do. It wasn't, I didn't go out there to, I didn't go out there to change our lives. And Paul went out there with, you know, this money was going to change his family's life. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it hit me so hard that instead of coming to my face and saying, you know, we're going to do something different and we're going to, and I think I want to join a different team. He went the way he did, mm-hmm. but you know, whatever. Um, I don't, I really don't hold it against him. He, you know, he played a game. Mm-hmm. The people out there that I really have an issue with are the people who just were evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that. I don't know. I should ask you at the beginning how much time you have, but if there's any point that you want to cut this off, you let me know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're plugged into my thing. So awesome. Full back. Solid. So with, with him transitioning to the other team, did, did you know that like the, you apparently you had a conversation about talking, you were, you were, I think you were talking to Joel. You might've been talking to Jordan too, about telling team Charlie that Paul was leaving or something like that. No, you don't recall that Paul was talking about something like that. Then when you went to, cause there was a moment where you went over to team Charlie and you were asking them to take on you and jo- Joel. Joel and I went over cause yeah. we had to, we realized Paul was leaving. Paul had, Paul had kind of said something about if Jordan didn't come back, he was gone. So Joel told you that because uh, Paul told no, Joel that. Paul, Paul told Joel that yeah. because um, Paul actually, well, Joel, Joel and I start talking mm-hmm. and we knew that, I mean, we had already got the idea that he was gone yeah. if, if Jordan left. And so that's why we were going to like, well, maybe we should join with Charlie and, you know, 
if nothing else, that way all of us have to go over. Maybe all three of us end up over there instead mm -hmm. of just one of us. So, I don't think a team can take on three people if they have three, they, though, right? They couldn't take on two either. No, they could only so, be a team of four. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. So, I mean, it was just, you know, it was Joel and I, we knew, we knew if Jordan left and that was part of the tears because I knew our team was over at that point. And that's mm -hmm. why you see me go to Paul. We can work through this. We can, we can fix you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I told him right there, we can work through this, we can fix this. Cause I knew at that point that he was, he was mad at me and I was mad at him. So mm -hmm. we had both had words and we had walked out on each other. So, yeah. Um, you know. Do you think maybe if you guys like tried to resolve that before Jordan left that it might have gone differently? Um, no, because I think Paul's mind was made up. Yeah. Yeah. That makes if sense. You want my own opinion. I mean, I think his mind was made up. And I think, I think if Jordan was his buddy and, and um, he, he, you know, I don't want to get into a bashing Paul thing. Honestly, I don't really want to get to bashing Paul because <laughs> Paul okay. played the game the way Paul wanted to play the game. Yeah. You know, um, would I have stalked off and through the woods and, and done it the way he did it? No, I would have said, hey, guys, this isn't working out for me. I'm out of here. And I would have walked out, you know, that way. So then, and I think if he would have done that, I think we would have been like, okay, we need to either talk or at that point we would have been like, okay, well, he was mad enough to say it to our faces. So mm -hmm. I, I do want to, if it's okay with you, I do want to challenge you on that just a little bit because technically <laughs> you were, you were going over to Charlie to ask them to take you and Joel on before you were hoping to kind of get in before Paul got out. Right. So we're, then isn't that isn't that kind of making an attempt at the same thing that he did? Um, we were hoping to secure a spot where all of us went and or Joel and I could join if Paul didn't want to because Paul had already said he was he wasn't going to join. Mm -hmm. And so that or he wasn't going to stay with us. And so that's why we were like, if Jordan left. And so that's why I said we need to talk to him. And that was before Jordan. Jordan, we even knew Jordan wasn't coming back. We just talked to him and said, hey, you know, we've heard that that um jordan you know jordan's out jordan may not come back are you guys interested and so and they said we are but we can't take on two so that um that moment that you were having that conversation with charlie did you know that paul was like 40 feet away and listening in on your conversation no yeah he was he was in the bush kind of behind team charlie overhearing your conversation while you were talking to them yeah just thought that was interesting i thought i wondered if he had told you or if someone had told you afterwards so so joel told you that paul was going to leave after paul had told joel that i believe so yeah yeah that's interesting and yeah and you you were already fully aware that he was gonna go i'm just kind of going through my questions here yeah i i already knew because we had had we paul and i had had a kind of a argument um we had had an argument i think it was that morning and mm. that's when i had went off by myself and i was like i can't stay on the same team with paul i don't think i can mm -hmm. i'm like you know, there's just some things that he'd said that just was kind of sexist. And I was like, you know what? I don't play these games. Yeah, that's and fair. So, yeah, there was yeah. a there was a moment where you were, what did you say? Um, you're talking about him going to cut wood because he was uh, Paul Bunyan or something like that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so was it, is it not a useful job to go cut wood? Like, is that not something um, you need? Here's the thing. So that probably nobody else talks about. The day that that, that Joel passed out back there jordan we yeah. had already known joel was we we had gotten red meat 
and we had um we were doing really good and so joel joel or not joel jordan and paul were wearing low on protein and we had said joel and i are going to go get muscles we're going to go fishing we want a fishing challenge so i said you know i've been in camp getting firewood the whole entire time so why don't and you guys have been out hunting so why don't we swap and let me go fishing joel and i'll go fishing instead of Joel and I watching the camp all the time. And you guys can just stay here and relax. Just Jordan just needs to relax. He needs to catch up on sleep. He needs to just eat. That's all he needs to do today is just eat. And then we get back and they're out hunting and they're out doing this and they're out doing that. And it's like, you're supposed to just be letting him rest or we're going to lose him. He's going to pass out. He's going to fall out of the game. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, um, Paul and I had a big, big conversation about that because I wanted so you, I wanted them to stop wearing themselves out. You're not going to shoot a deer out there with six cameramen following you and running ahead of you. It's just mm-hmm. not happening. So, so you kind of saw that coming, that whole incident with Jordan kind of yep. going out. And, you know, and Joel and I had talked about it and I had said, you know, survival is a lazy man's game. You get your stuff that you need. And we were collecting small wood and small this and small that we had started letting the fire go out at night and just restocking it in the morning so somebody didn't have to stay up all night with it which you know burned a lot of calories staying up and staying with it mm-hmm. well, so that's... and we were all taking turns through the night yeah so. i'm really i'm really seeing how uh kind of spot on you are with that statement that is uh survival's a lazy man's game i'm catching up on alone i'm sure you've heard that show mentioned a whole bunch um and i'm watching season nine and there's been two participants so far spoiler alert that spent way too much work on a shelter like just burn themselves at both ends make far too elaborate of a shelter and they had to go out because they killed they were literally killing themselves working too hard yeah yeah. and that's why you know we kept saying about jordan and you know i mean even when jordan said you know when he did a live instagram with us he even said you know you were always telling me to slow down you were always telling me to like you know pace myself and and i was i was always telling him to slow down because i knew he's young and he's exuberant and he wants to be in front of the camera and you know he just had this energy that you just wanted to like okay let's bottle it up yeah. <laughs> let's package it so we can use a little at a time so um yeah but um and, and you know paul fed into it and that was one of my biggest that was one of my biggest qualms with with paul was he wasn't just calming down paul has the same thing he's going he's going he's going he's going he's going he's a he's a mover he's a great guy i'm not gonna say he's not a good guy mm-hmm. i am sure out in real life he's probably a fabulous guy um because when we first teamed up i absolutely loved him i mean he was just a wealth of knowledge and Mm -hmm. he was an easygoing guy and and you know he had he had divulged some stuff to us about you know he's kind of sensitive about certain things and and we had tried to stay away from certain topics you know and and i thought we did pretty good (laughs) but you know we also you know i always i've never i've never held the secret that if my mouth don't say it my face will so I mean, like, I, I'm I'm an open book. Mm-hmm. If I think somebody's a dick, it's probably written across here if it already hasn't come out my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, in all fairness, he's he didn't have anything negative to say about you either. So it's good that you're kind of both in a mutual understanding with that. Yeah, and I know we're two totally different people. And, and you know, you walk into something like this 
and you bring your skills in and you bring your life lessons and you bring, you know, this kind of stuff. Paul's from the Southern area. I'm from the North. I'm from right on the Canadian border. You know, Alaska wasn't that far of a stretch for survival. Um, For him though, you know, these people are, are used to the humidity and they're used to the warmth and stuff like that. That's a huge shock to their system too i mean like i i knew watching some of them out there you know and we had even talked about in the very beginning you know who has the who's going to lose the most weight are going to be people from the south because you're not used to you know the climate yeah that's an interesting point because there's probably some sort of physiological systems that run to heat your body when it's cold that are going to become more well adapted to cold and become more efficient. I, that's probably a good point. I, I don't have this. I don't have it like available, but I would bet you that there could be there would be an interesting study to be done, like people in that live in colder climates and how efficiently they warm their bodies from the inside out, like how how calorie efficient their body Yes. Yeah. Right. Because I know, like, if I go buy, if I go buy a, a horse or something from the Midwest, I have to acclimate it to my weather. Mm-hmm. If I go buy a horse from the South, I have to acclimate it to my weather. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't just go dump it out in a snowstorm. You can't just go dump it out in in forty degree temperature with no humidity. Mm-mm. They don't do well. They get sick. They, you know. I mean, I'm thinking of, of cattle lions, but I figure, you know, it's it can't be that much different. People aren't, yeah. aren't terrible difference. Just, we talk a lot more. So you're treating your team like cattle is what you're saying. <laughs> Very well re- registered cattle. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Uh, there was when you learned that Paul had left for Charlie and you, you and Joel went after him. Did you have an agenda or was that just were you just blown off steam? I was blown off steam. Okay. I was pissed. I, I, I was just like, you little weasel. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Sneak away and not even do the proper thing of telling me that you're leaving. I mean, like, please be a man and say it to my face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so the the stealing of the sleeping bags. I mean, oh, yeah. obviously, we got to talk about that. Did that happen the day after Paul switched? Um, I believe it was a couple days after. It was only like a couple days after. Damn, that's got to be insult to injury there. Um, you know, I think the funniest part is Joel and I literally thought production had a hand in it. And to this day, you still can't tell me that production doesn't know about it and that they didn't have a hand in it. So. Okay, hang on. I don't, I gotta, I gotta, all right, we'll just go into that. We actually stole the cameras. Like they show you that we went and we hijacked their cameras. Yeah. We're like, we're, we're confiscating your cameras to look at. Joel and I are like, you know, we're taking your cameras and we're going to like go through them. And then that's how we found, you know, Justin. And so, yeah. And then you hear me, you swear you don't have it. You don't know anything about this because we were out front. They showed us like, I mean, like we were out front of our fort. Yeah. And the production crew was like, walk 10 steps slow, look this way, look that way. These are going to be some shots that we're going to use for something else. And then we get back to our camp and this is what happens. And we're like, what the hell? You just had us out in front of the camp doing all these like stupid little slow motion. Look over here, look over here. And now our sleeping bags are gone. Oh, bullshit. So what? We, oh, we took, we were like, I think what they they don't show you is like, there was a lot of anger on the way down down there when we found the tent the the raft because joel and i are like we we tracked that sucker through the woods i mean like a hundred percent we tracked that son of a gun through the woods we had him down there and we were told yeah 
you guys are out of bounds. Come on back. And I was like, you can see his cameraman right there. And we're like, you're they're like, you're out of bounds. You need to go. John, you're you're jumping on a boat. Yeah. You're out of bounds. Yeah. Because there, well, there's somebody's cabin over down that way. And so we weren't allowed, you know, within so many feet of the cabin. Okay. So. so what you're saying is that, first of all, during the raid of your camp, the production crew was basically slow rolling you with... Yeah, we were out in front doing doing some kind of a some kind of a walk this way, turn this way type of thing out in front. Yeah. Okay. And I'm, I'm guessing it was a... <laughs> From our camp. I'm guessing it was a bunch of footage that they never even used. Yeah. And so then you get back and you had been ransacked. And then when you're chasing down Justin. Well, first of all, we thought it had to be Charlie camp because we were yeah. told nobody else had a valuable raft. Yeah. So we thought for sure it had to be Charlie camp. So then we ran down there and that wasn't too long after after Paul had left. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, it, it just goes to show it has to be them. And if it's them, then we're going to get our shit back. And so like we went down there and then you could tell by angie and nick and stuff and seth well even paul's no reaction they were just like yeah. whoa whoa i mean they were like oh she's pissed mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah so um so yeah we found out it wasn't you know it wasn't obviously charlie camp and then they had to go on the alert too um had i had i known now or then what i know now i would have grabbed charlie camp and i would have brought the whole camp with us and we would have tracked him down mm -hmm. as one girl yeah and they probably because, would have been game for that because they wouldn't want thieves on their show yeah. either and if we could if they would have allowed us to continue because i had his tracks going into the tree there and i was following him and i saw his cameraman and then they pulled us out and i said well he doesn't have our sleeping bag so let's go back and find him because he probably dumped him somewhere so and then like but what they also don't tell you is like my wool gloves were in there my wool socks were in there um you know so like the next we survived i think i think we were out there three or four nights after that and so um the that night i had to go out to a different island and um that's where i met up with brian and then um i told brian i said i'm not leaving joel alone i'm like i i've got to go back my partner is alone and he has nothing we both have like pieces of tarp to sleep with so i'm like i'm going back to my partner so um i found one of the producers and finagled them and said you know what i'm not staying out here if you guys you guys have to let me go back to joel because now we're in true survival mode so um they went ahead and let me get back on the boat and took me back to Joel. And so Joel and I had to hunker in for the night. And that so, night I'm sorry. we did. I, I want to let you keep going. I'm just not following you. You went on a boat to an island? Yeah. This Before. is one of the challenges that they didn't. There, there was quite a few challenges that you never got to see. Okay. But um, So just like yeah. one competitor went to an island? Off of each team, yeah. Oh, okay. And so you were on an island with just Brian? No, Brian and Jill and, and Paul were all there. Oh, okay. And what was that challenge? Um, um, I think it was a deer hunting one. Oh, and I don't you, were, remember. you were just like shooting pretend deers? We were supposed to, it was supposed to be somewhere where they knew there were some deer that maybe we could get something. I think it was one of their challenges that didn't end up sh you know, nothing really good happened out there. So, oh, okay. It's just a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. Huh. So, uh, so yeah, I jumped back on the, on the boat. I mean, one of my big regrets is I didn't get to talk to Brian too much before I left because once the producer came, I said, Hey, I'm not staying here. You guys can't make me <laughs> like, I'll literally swim if I have to. Yeah. So, um, they went ahead and let me go back to Joel and then we got back there and we made up 
uh, tent for the night. And we were both like, we were both so mad that night because we were pretty sure we had been duped by production. Um, And then we, um, the next day, um, we got to learn that, you know, supposedly production knew nothing about it and so um it was we were told it was something he had done on his own which now watching the show bullshit (laughs) (laughs) so what why is that bullshit since watching the show if you look there's a boat right beside him there's a boat right beside who justin when you swim in the river there's a boat right beside him so you can see that like you can see the shadow of the boat this is me and my investigation skills (laughs) (laughs) okay and that but isn't that just like part of the camera people watching him at all times yeah but we were told like nobody even knew about it it was something he did entirely on his own is what we were told so that's why we took the camera footage we were told nobody knew about it so So, like so that the production was telling you that they didn't even know that it was coming yeah and i'm pretty sure actually production might not have because production wasn't even on the island at that time Mm -hmm. but i think some of the other crews knew he was on his way over and i think that's how come we were pulled out of the tent to do our little walkabout in front so you guys weren't like not only were you slowed down with these odd camera requests but you were pulled from your camp yeah we were pulled from the camp to do these these videoing conveniently at the time that justin was coming to steal your stuff that's why we we were so angry before we left i mean that's that's one of the things that got us so bad joel and i both that was one of the things that really like made us mad we're like we feel like this is this has just been put against us like here you guys have already like hit it had a blow now let's hit you with another blow and you know and then like the second night that joel and i were alone um joel had went over to see javier and he had ended up falling in the river and so he got back to the camp he was sopping wet and it was dark and so i had gotten the fire all built up but he had to get out of most of his clothes he kept Mm -hmm. on his wool underwear so i had given him my second set of my my over gear and so that night i woke up about one o'clock in the morning it had dipped down into the freezing temperatures and um yeah i was sopping wet and shaking i couldn't stop shaking and so uh yeah we i mean it was i was so cold that night so why and, were you wet um because it was so it was wet and frozen oh, okay. so like you know just you just you just get saturated that's yeah. why i slept with our rain gear on so yeah and then yeah so everything was just i was so cold i had never shook so much in my whole entire life as i did that night jesus so, but then the next day you actually see us because that's the night like you actually see me like tucking joel into bed like with rocks and stuff yeah i, I guarantee you i didn't tuck joel into bed every night <laughs> that's okay that'd be kind i don't see anything wrong with that yes <laughs> so early on in the show i think it was about crab pots you were actually the first participant to mention stealing i was what was because your- they had three crab pot they had uh if you notice in the show angie got three crab crab pots yeah. so one of those supposed to be our crab pot that was left on the island and so when they were paul was going to go change like exchange firewood cutting to them and work in exchange for a crab pot and i'm like no you can't go wear yourself out for another team that's ridiculous like why don't we just go take one of the three crab pots once they're they're planted out in the thing. I mean, you can just take a couple crab out of it and you'll be fine. Uh, you know, we're not starving them. I'm not taking all their food. They have three crab pots. And, you know, at that point, their raft wasn't even 
working. So we had already talked to Angie a little bit about, you know, you, if she could use our, our raft. And um, I was like, just go take one of their crab pots. I mean, they got three and nobody else has any. So, and we have extra food. Because everybody got, I think at that point, I think we actually got the food in the um, challenge bag. So you got food in a challenge bag? Uh, the crab bait food stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 The orange boxes. Yeah. I think those came in the challenge yeah. bag. Yeah. So. I think so. Yeah. When you, so you got called off of your pursuit of Justin. You saw the cameraman that was looking at him. I saw Justin's cameraman. Yeah. yeah. And then they, they shouted at you and called you back. Yeah. That's it's brutal because it's like <laughs> it makes it a, it's so funny because it, I remember seeing watching the show and seeing the makeshift ghillie suit he made and thinking okay that's ridiculous and then it shows that you kind of came close to him but then didn't see him and then I was like oh wow I guess his ghillie suit actually really did work meanwhile <laughs> the cameraman told you not to keep going but it made him look good so you know what I like Justin Justin's a good guy I've met him afterwards you know one thing I will say about Justin is Justin is funny as heck. Oh, yeah? And he, he like, he takes being a villain to a whole like awesome level. Like he's actually like, he's actually pretty cool. I mean, like he, you know, he's just, he's a good guy. I, I think in the long run, I really think Justin probably, we were going to try to steal him once if we found him. Because when I was leaving on the boat, I saw him sitting over there with our sleeping bags. And I tried to get him to roll the boat over, but they wouldn't because they were afraid I was going to shoot him with an arrow. But I, I wasn't going to. I was going to. I was going to ask him if he just like, I was going to give him the ultimatum of he either gave us back our sleeping bags and swam back to his his group or he joined our group. And I, they wouldn't let me. So oh, I was like. That would have been an interesting <laughs> turn of events to see. And that I guess I that brings me to that question. I was, I was going to ask you if you had a actually caught Justin how do you think that would have went down but that's that's what you would have done you would have that's what we wanted to do is we were going to make him either like we were like well make him strip naked and yeah. swim home or he can join us yeah <laughs> you maybe would have asked him to join you while you had your hands around his neck maybe that's how it would have went you know what I really I mean like I talk a big game but I'm not going to get physical <laughs> I was a corrections officer for many years I mean like I'll take him down and put handcuffs on him but other than that I don't want to touch him <laughs> that's fair i love i love hearing that you think that justin's such a good guy and i've heard good things from the other people about justin as well and so I'm, yeah. i'll ask you the same question i asked them do you think if justin started on a different team would he have stolen anything i don't think so i think if justin would have started on a different team i think justin would have melted into that team and been a huge valuable asset to whatever team he was on that's what i i, I honestly believe with justin but like Honestly, to tell you the truth, I think Amber's a little bit like that, too. I think Amber could have been on a team that was good, and I think she would have molded to be good. I think she just got with Jill, and I don't know, I guess, you know, their heads went 360 around, and they decided to be the demons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the demons. Yeah, that's what Javier calls them, the demon squad. Yeah. Yeah, I find that hilarious. So looking and back, like, on, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say like, I mean, even after the show. It's like, yeah. It's like, you're not helping yourself. <laughs> yeah, I've, I haven't looked into too, too much. I am trying to get Jill on because I do want to have this conversation with her as well, just to get her side of things. I think that would be very interesting at the very least. Um, but yeah. You might lose a lot of followers. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> 
that's okay. I'm look, I'm looking for with this whole podcast thing. It's just a hobby. I'm at my gym right now. I own a gym. That's my primary income. And so this whole talking about talking thing, I, I want to, I guess, platform anyone and everyone. I want to talk to all kinds of people, even if I don't agree with them. I want to talk to them. Yeah, so. Joe Rogan there, right? Sure. Yeah, maybe someday. <laughs> That'd be cool. Uh, the popping of the raft. So you, you, you pop their inner tubes. Looking back on that, do you think you would have been better off taking it and like trying to use it for leverage or something? Or do you think just yeah. getting the gas out of... We looked at each other and I gave him the countdown and yeah, we were going to pop it. Yeah, probably. At that point, it just, just, it was the only way I could take out any frustration of what happened. Yeah, I think you did say something like, oh, that felt good or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So yeah. Yeah, it was really it was really satisfying to hear that. <laughs> yeah, like the steam leaving your head. Oh, I'm pretty sure I was shooting flares out of my ears after that. I mean, like, because we were just like, we know he's here. Why don't you guys let us go there? No, Don, go, Don, go. <laughs> and they were just like, no, go home. It's all over. <laughs> One of the cameramen came to me and they're like, I have never seen anybody track somebody like that. It was actually kind of scary how you tracked him down through those woods. Like we couldn't see what you were looking at and you were exactly where he went. And I was like, um, guys, that's what I do. You track people? I've been a tracker my whole life. Like I go in and help like when people are missing and stuff. I help a lot with tracking and stuff. I mean, like. What That's, is, how did you get into that? Just, I've always been good at tracking and trapping and everything else. So like, that's just something that like, um, a few years ago we found a guy, you know, by tracking him and yeah. So who, just, you, you said they, who's they, who calls you in for tracking work? Sheriff's department, uh, families of missing people, things like that. I mean, there's 25 people. How many missing people? Can there be? No, I don't live there anymore. <laughs> I know. Home. I was just being funny as... <laughs> no, we, we go all over <laughs> that's awesome it's a group of ranchers and stuff that we get together and yeah i've helped track and if if you know i mean it's just a group of people who actually know how to track i mean i've tracked my whole life growing up in the in the mountains you almost have to know how to track okay hold on so. now you're saying it's a group of people that, so so there's this like group of ranchers, like, ranchers that are yep. hired by police departments not hired we're just asked to come in and help commissioned yep. We just, we're just ask if we can come help because we're good at what we do. <laughs> and you guys don't get paid for it. Oh, we're just a volunteer group. A volunteer group of ranchers. Yeah, this ranchers, is, horseback riders. It sounds like a group of like vigilantes or something <laughs> like a group of. Oh, we usually try to find people who are missing or people who have gone missing and or people who have committed suicide. Maybe, you know, their families are looking for them up in the mountains and stuff. It's just what we do. That's so, so interesting. Okay. Do you guys have like a, a name? Like you're not an organization. You're just a group. Do you have a Facebook group? How the hell does that work? They have like your list of emails. No. Um, well, the sheriff's department knows how to get a hold of us if they need us. And the sheriff has a posse group that a lot of times if if they get something they can't get, they'll call us in after the posse's already looked. Um, and we'll come in and, and see if we can recover what we're looking for. Huh. That is fascinating. Okay, cool. So back to the show. When you <laughs> commandeered the camera equipment, what was the reaction of the crew? <laughs> I don't think they knew how to take it. I literally think they just like, uh, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, you know, and Joel, like, Joel's such a great guy. Like, he's so, like, he's just, like, my brother. I mean, like, him and I, we just hit it off as, like, brother and sister out there. So, like, he's so articulate. And he's so refined. And so for him to be like, let's commandeer the cameras. It was like, So that was Joel's idea. That was Joel's idea. And it was, like, right on where he on you. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And I'm sure the camera crew was just seeing how fired up you guys were and they were just like angry, hungry people. Let's it's just not but you know, like I don't the funny thing is is like I don't remember being hungry out there. Like I actually ate really well. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Like the mussels and the sea asparagus and we ate wild cranberries and um I made oatmeal while I was out there um with some of the seeds. I took seeds out of a lot of the the um plants and stuff. Um yeah, we actually ate really well. How the um, hell did you make oatmeal? So like I cut down a lot of the the tall grasses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of wild rye and and stuff like that out there. So I just put it over the over the fire and let it dry out and then take it and I just ground it up into oatmeal. So like when we did our raft trip, I made oatmeal right before we left and then everybody had some so that we had some energy. Huh. Interesting. What- and I took one of the other things you don't get to see in the show is I actually took the underwire out of my bra and made a fishing hook. Oh, really? That's super clever. And that that was going to be my other question is what other kind of like survival type things, because you get that a lot on the show alone, right? The survival bushcraft type stuff. This turned into more of a social experiment, a drama reality show with a survival setting. Uh, Whether you want, whether you say that's fortunate or unfortunate, I guess depends on which perspective you want to take on that. But it is what it is. I think the drama thing paid off well for him because I think... I think it's going to get them a season two. Yeah. As the cast members who were actually there to do a survival show, I think um, the first few weeks were amazing. And then it turned into a drama infused. Shit show. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's perfect words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a shit show. But I didn't know. Yeah. So what, what else did you do? You, you made a, you made oatmeal, you made a fish hook. Was there anything else that happened that was a little more fun, survival, interesting, something like that, that wasn't shown on camera? Um, we actually, Joel and I made a water filtration filtration system with the mussels and with, um, so like the different water and come through and the mussels help purify the water for us. What? And then um, we actually used, we cut the inner lining out of my Windrider bibs, like the, you know, that comes with like a netting on the inside. So we cut the netting out and we made like a filter system. And so like it was, it kept the water clean in our bag for us. So well, how the yeah, hell does that work with mussels for a filter? Actually, we'll filter your water for them. They'll clean your water for you. How? So because if you leave them in there, they take everything they can clean out. So they'll eat everything. Oh, so interesting. It works out really, really well. It worked out really well. I mean, like our water was clean at the bottom. Like you, you'd literally put the mussels in and you put the thing in. So like everything would settle down to the mussels and the mussels would eat things and move around. And the top of the water was super, super clean. Huh. That's so neat. So, and then we also, we found that you could drink the water straight out of, um, there were like these, mm-hmm. there. Oh, Sorry. there we go. Uh, it's all good. So, was these deep holes out along the um, riverbanks. And so when the water would come up and they'd go back down with the rain and stuff, the grass would filter the water. So the salt would be out. So what you'd be left with in these pools are clear, cold drinking water. So you could literally take your cup and walk up to these pools and drink water out of it. Uh, so I mean, d- don't don't tell Andrea that. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's cruddy too, because she didn't 
drink water that made her sick. Um, you know, I don't know if you've talked to her yet, but you probably should talk to her too. She didn't drink the water. I mean, like the water where she was drinking actually was clean. So how I did mean, she end up sick? I think she came in with absolutely no body fat. I mean, she's a very muscled up woman and she came in with no body fat. And then I don't know what they were eating for food those first few nights. So it probably just extremely didn't, didn't settle with her. So you don't think it was that drinking of the water? I, I, it was the drinking of the water because we drank that water the whole entire time we were there. I mean, granted, I grew up on creek water. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm immune to it. Yeah. <laughs> Just move the cow snot aside at the top of the trough and drank. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, that's nothing compared to freaking Javier talking to me about eating roadkill. So I eat roadkill too. Great. That <laughs> sounds like I've got the eating roadkill bunch of people on my podcast so far. You do. Yeah. Good. Awesome. <laughs> Did Paul tell you about eating roadkill as well? <laughs> no, I didn't ask Paul about eating roadkill. I'm sure he's eating roadkill too, people. I, I haven't really hunted yet. I got my hunting license this year and my gun license this year for the first time. So this upcoming deer season is going to be my first attempt. Nice. Well, good luck. Thanks. I don't hunt deer anymore. I hunt like back here on my wall. You can see my cougar. Whoa. I hunt cougars and I hunt bears. I hunt things that haunt me. I'm not much of a, I, I don't. I don't do the herbivores anymore. What does so. cougar taste like? Oh, it's amazing. It's probably the best meat I've ever had. Really? Yeah. Huh. You would think, so, is it like tough? No, it's super tender and it's pale. So it's really good. Really? Yeah. It's the other, other white meat. It, yes. Yes. <laughs> it is way better than chicken. <laughs> Interesting. Cougar. Wow. It's just they're a little harder to farm than a chicken. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they would be a little, a little more difficult to farm. Right. <laughs> Might be some collateral damage if you tried to have have a cougar farm. Yeah. And you know, the walking in and helping them fall or kit kitten out or something wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> no, no. And so when you're hunting a cougar, like cougars will watch you and be ready to jump on you and oh, yeah. rip your neck out of your body and you won't yep. know they're there. Yep. How I was the chased by when I was 13. What the f How did that go? Um, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's right there. <laughs> That's the same one? No, this is actually a different one. The other one, no. Um, oh, okay. It fell down and hurt itself and couldn't get back up. What? <laughs> it was back before. It, it actually it actually tried to, um, it came out of the tree and ended up right. It missed me and my horse. I was I was running through um, the pasture up by the house and it was sitting up on the branch of a tree and I hadn't seen it. And my horse and I ran under and it jumped out right after us and chased us for quite a while. And um, so you were yeah, on a horse. I was on a horse. Thank God. And chased us for quite a while. And then I had another experience. Um, I was up hunting my dad. My grandfather had dropped me off at the top of Thistle Slope and I was he was going to go down around and cut some wood and I was going to walk down to him. And I got out around and I climbed up the one apple tree that's out on the top of the sl slope there. And this is up, this is up uh, right on the Canadian border up around Danville. And um, so I was getting, I was getting a couple apples and on the whole cow herd, the neighbor's cow herd came rolling up to see what I was up to. And it was kind of weird, you know, they're bawling and bellering, kind of like something's bothering them. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird, you know, but I was like maybe 12 or 13 at the time too. And so I jumped down out of the tree and I had walked down around the side of the hill and it started getting dark. So there's a tree 
with a bunch of branches that come up and out. And I parked myself in between two of those branches. And this one cow had kind of been following me. And I thought she's gonna, I could hear something moving behind me in the brush. And I thought it was that cow. So I thought I'm going to scare that cow. You know, I put my gun down and I, I like come around the thing and I go, boo. And it wasn't the cow. It was a damn cougar that had snuck up behind me. And it was probably about three feet from me. And I was down on my hands and knees and it did like one big ha and kind of mouth open and stuff. I was just like, don't look at it. Don't look at it. I looked down, I looked away and I thought I'm going to be dead at any moment. I can't reach my gun. You know, you're kind of, it sounds bad, but you're kind of almost frozen. Like you're like, it's up to you to do what you're going to do. Cause I have, uh, if I move fast, you're going to jump on me. So, and I'd always been told, you know, don't run from a cat, don't run from a cat. And so, um, you know, I just sat there and the next thing I know, it kind of just stood up and kind of turned around and swished its tail and I still remember like just to the side of my cheek the end of its tail caught me and I just thought it was the paw I I just remember in my head I thought I'm dead I'm dead now start fighting but um (laughs) it was just the end of its tail that caught me as it turned and it went off in the woods and I got down to grandpa I was shaking so bad (laughs) my hands were shaking my voice was shaking I got down to him I'm like Grandpa, the cat, the cat, the cat. I started putting all the firewood up in the back of the Jeep and Grandpa started, oh yeah, let it come, let it come. I was like, but that was the first night he ever gave me a shot of uh, R&R. I got R&R in my cocoa that night. What? So. R&R, I'm guessing that's like whiskey or something? Yeah. Oh, I got whiskey in my cocoa. <laughs> that's crazy. You tried to yeah. jump scare a cow and you were like 12 <laughs> and you jump scared a freaking cougar. Nope. Did it startle? Did it even have a second of it being startled? It kind of just sat back and just, you know, mouth open kind of gave me half a a kiss. Like, I'm really, I I think it like, if I could jump into the cougar's mind, I'm pretty sure it's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, (laughs) (laughs) same time, I mean, I'm just thinking, oh, shit. Oh, shit. You know, I mean, like, I'm three feet from this cat. And I just, you know, it's funny because Joel and I were talking about that the other day, like these experiences that you have that I don't think it matters how old you get or what else happens. You always remember the smells, the sounds, the, you know, in a situation like that, you remember everything. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a wonky thing, but yeah, I know. And that's part of my thing, like going out to Outlast, you know, everybody's like, oh, the bears and stuff. And it's like, I'm not a bear. I'm not afraid of grizzly bears. Sorry, I've had experiences with a grizzly bear. I held a guy's head together after a bear attack. And yeah. And so I'm not afraid of a grizzly bear. Bring him on. Okay. (laughs) All right. Held the guy's head together story. Go. I was 17 years old and I was working for a packing company and um, I was riding a big thoroughbred horse named Dr. Dre. And um, I heard somebody scream. I was coming back from one of the lakes and I heard somebody scream. And sorry, when you say packing company, uh, packing horses, packing guests and stuff in campers, things back into the high country. Oh, okay. So like helping transport goods and people on horseback. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. And I was probably maybe two and a half hours from any kind of civilization help. And um, yeah, I got, I heard somebody scream and I was like, and you know, I'm 17. Again, I chalk it up to being young and dumb because the first thing I could think of was I got to go see what's going on. And so I turned this horse down and I ran down to the creek and here's this guy laying 
and you know his feet are in the creek and and it's weird because i can tell you exactly every detail of it but the bear had had him and he was dragging him away and um the lady was beating the bear off with a stick and the so she had a canister of bear spray and this is why i refused to ever use bear spray um had a canister of bear spray and she deployed it and she didn't check the wind. I mean, she and her, her panic, you know, she panicked. She didn't check the wind and it came right back at her and at the horse I was riding and me. And, you know, there's nothing more attractive than when you've been OC'd and you have snot running out of your nose and you're drooling and your eyes are red and you can't see. And all you can hear is a bear growling and, you know, bones breaking. And you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm here to help. Jesus. My horse took to bucking and I came off and I went and grabbed the guy. And I remember like, I remember putting my hands like on top of his head. And I just remember feeling bone shards move, you know, under my fingers. And um, I'm trying to get, there's, there's kind of a crick nearby and I'm trying to get my eyes down into the crick enough that I can, I can see again. And I hear this lady and the bear walks away and I picked up a rock and I like flung it at this bear and the the bear kind of like stood back and this lady like just hit him again. And the next thing I know she was just gone. And so was the bear. And it was just like, it was, it was kind of took me, you know, a couple seconds to realize what had gone happened, but the bear had ended up grabbing the lady by the neck and dragging her off into the, into the woods there. And so I believe they found her a couple days later. She had passed on, but um, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> years old so that's what i said i mean like you don't did the you, guy you know, live uh I, I don't know he was alive when i believe the helicopter came in and took him so so while you were holding his skull together he was still alive yeah well he i was holding him together he was still moving but you know holy shit yeah jesus but, again, that's like why i said i mean like you know survival wasn't a worry for me out there like i've been in situations where i've had to learn to survive yeah yeah Wait. sounds like it i don't think i have any of those stories <laughs> holding a man's skull together and getting bear sprayed yep not not on my list of stories from my 17 year old childhood i played video games in my parents' basement. That's what I did. You know, and I grew up, like I said, I grew up in a different time. I mean, I, I, I thought I thought it was normal for everybody my age to be, you know, surviving out in the woods and living on a horse and stuff. I didn't realize everybody else, you know, they had these these video games and they had these lives and, you know, they dated people and stuff like that. And I didn't. I... I lived in the mountains and I, you know, I fixed up old cabins and I lived in the cabins and I caught, you know, baby animals that I'd find and I raised baby animals, uh, you know, that I found. I I lived a great life. If I could go back in, in, in any of my life and live something re-over, I would do my childhood all over again and I wouldn't change a damn thing. Except for me, maybe not having to touch a broken skull. That might be maybe next that part. Yeah, that was, that that stayed with me forever. I mean, even to this day, you know, up there in Alaska, when, when the one you smelled the bear, it was like, it, it, it I don't want to say PTSD because I don't think it's like, P I think of PTSD as like people who have actually like, maybe if he was my family member or something or, you oh, know, like. No, no, Don. No, no. You don't need to, you don't need to like, no, no, you don't need to. That's, that's a traumatic situation. You were in a very traumatic situation that might've triggered a little PTSD, but like you 
clearly deal with it better than a lot of people. I think people can get PTSD and just kind of deal with it in different ways. Some people will have it in different severities and have different ways of dealing with it. And then I think there's there's going to be certain amounts of people that can be experiencing certain amounts of anxiety or panic and fear and still be able to operate and function. And then there will be other people that will possibly experience a fraction of that fear or anxiety or panic and it will be crippling for them and they'll be unable to operate or they'll be hysterical. Yeah. And I don't think you can, I don't think you can choose which type of person you are. I, I don't really think don't. you can either. I think it's probably yeah. really genetic. And I do too. There's probably a lot of portion of like how you grew up as well. Like if you were the kind of person that was more likely to respond to those kind of feelings and you grew up in the way you did, you might develop the ability to handle those feelings a little better, right? Yeah. But when people don't grow up with adversity and then they're suddenly faced with an extreme amount of adversity, it's almost obvious why they don't react to it properly. Right. Yeah. Or unhealthily. Maybe maybe in their mind, they're reacting properly, but it's not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Not healthy, not helpful for the situation. That kind of stuff. Because I know like I've seen cops and stuff, you know, working in law enforcement. I've seen cops who like if if somebody's coded or something, they they lose their shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, whoa, buddy, did they, did they ever, have you ever been in a stressful situation? Because this isn't how you should handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard of that too. Uh, yeah. I've heard like of- you see the, you see people who like shoot or something without checking, you know, the background or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, even yeah. hunters, you see a lot in hunting and stuff, people who, who they get buck fever as I think what most people call it. And they shoot without really, you know, thinking about what they're doing. Yeah, that I, I don't, I find that weird. I don't want to comment on it because I haven't been out hunting yet. So I don't want to really. <laughs> What's that? You're like, I may have it. I yeah. Don't know yet. Yeah. Like I don't want to cast any shade, but I, I, I don't know if I'm looking down my sight of a gun or a bow and I'm not certain what the hell I'm aiming at. I'm not pulling that trigger. Like I don't want to yeah. shoot something. And just remember the small bucks taste better than the big ones. Interesting. <laughs> hmm. They're not as tough. Their meat tastes better. They're usually younger. Okay. So, I'll keep that in if mind. You're going, if you're going for food that goes on your table, I mean, like we grew up on, we grew up on wild deer, you know, I mean, like I didn't even realize there was really hunting seasons until I was about 12 years old. <laughs> huh. You guys just kind of killed whatever, whenever. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> grew up in the mountains. So. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do, right? You survive. So you, That's it. So you, you had, you, you had what, two or three nights without sleeping bags? We had three. Yeah. yeah. And did you sleep at all? Yes, we did. The last night, oh my gosh, we found ourselves, like, we found ourselves a bag out there. <laughs> it's like a, it was like a grain bag that they must have used in one of the drops. And we, like, confiscated it. <laughs> we turned it into a sleeping bag. And it was actually, the problem is, is, like, Joel and I together, it was like you'd sleep like we'd sleep shoulder to shoulder and then we'd be like turn and then we'd just sleep like hip to hip and then we'd be like turn that's so funny so you guys slept together in a giant like burlap sack basically it was like a a big like uh it was just a big grain bag is what it looked like but yeah um i think it was from one of the drops like maybe even the first drop yeah yeah um so yeah we had taken as much as we could and our team had gotten all the twine and we had gotten everything we could out of that first drop because they said you know kind of grab grab stuff and Mm -hmm. so we grabbed wine and everything else and so nice that's awesome do you think if you look back on when you and Joel finally called it quits, do you ever wish you had have taken the chance with Javier and not bailed on him? Unfortunately, we had um, 
we had said we were going to quit on our side after we heard a few things over the radio. Um, so um, we had said we were out. We said this isn't what we signed up for. And then we went ahead and rafted over to Javier's side. And um, he had talked us into staying. And we actually said, well, if you guys don't mind, we'll go ahead and stay. And they said, well, by rights, you guys kind of said you were going to leave. And so. Um, really? Yeah. So we had told Javier, we're like, let's go wreck your fort and we'll all go to town and have a burger. <sighs> so Javier's like, okay, let's go. So he's like, no, guys, you can't do this. <laughs> so you so javier first of all first question is what did you hear over what radio um i'm probably not allowed to talk about the, what we heard over the radios but um oh. there was just some stuff going on over the radios with jill and and stuff that we didn't like and, and it wasn't something that should have happened out there so we're like nope we're gone this isn't this isn't what i signed up for i mean like stuff nope. that's not shown on camera yeah yeah. So Javier, Javier got the short stick. Poor Javier. I mean, like, all I can say is like, it made me so mad sitting on my side of the river where I couldn't go over and help him. I literally <laughs> grabbed the rubber arrow. <laughs> I was like, just let me put an arrow in her. Like, just let me shoot her. If there's no rules at all, allow me to shoot her. Like, it would do the world a big favor. And they're like, do not knock an arrow. And I was like, I won't use a broadhead. I'll use arrow <laughs> <laughs> just sting <laughs> so but she was just, she was interacting with javier in a way that is not shown on camera it's horrible she's she's yeah i everything that happened up there shouldn't have happened i mean like it she should have never been able to go into Javier's camp. She should have never been able to take stuff. She should have never, she should have never been in Javier's camp. It should have been a, a rule after our stuff that they couldn't go into camps after that. That that rule should have been hard and fast because like we came into the ga game with certain things like the gloves, the socks, those were supposed yeah, yeah. to be like always part of your, your survival gear. I survived three nights without my gloves and socks. Yeah. Um, you know, we became survivalists is what we really became. But, you know, if you look at it, if you look at some of these shelters and stuff, it just I don't know if I was outside looking in on this show, I would have some problems with some of the things I see in the background on some of these shows. <laughs> I think I think it's with every show, though, you even see it like on Survivor and stuff. You know, you see things in the background that you're like, wait a minute. They don't show how they got those. They don't show how they got those. Like, why aren't you showing us how they get those? So there was some stuff that you guys got that wasn't like through challenge. Um, well, like the sleeping bags were dropped. Yeah, day um, four. Yeah, but you know, they don't really talk about the dropping of the sleeping bags and no. stuff like that. Um, you know, just, just like they don't talk about the dropping of the fishing gear and stuff like that, you know, I mean, like there's a lot of things you don't get to see. Um, you don't get to see, I think like we found a frying pan in an old, uh, in an old, uh, camp. And so, um, you know, I was scavenging. My thing is I scavenged. I found every old camp I could out there and I scavenged everything I could. Um, but you know, like the stove, they don't show the stove in Charlie camp, how they got that. Um, you know, there's just some things showing up in the thing like they don't talk about how they got the net i think javier finally talked about how they he got the net mm -hmm. um but you know 
it's things like that that you just are like as watching the show like my husband watched it with me and he's like where the heck did that come from where the heck did that come from why aren't we showing like why are these things popping up right i mean i feel like you're they're kind of limited to how much screen time they have right and then when they're given so much eight thousand hours of stuff too yeah and when they're given just an abundance of chaos and drama you got to cut that into it right like so as fun as wasn't as big of a part of it though i i totally agree with you especially as a like a big fan of the alone show because that's zero drama because they're literally alone i know and it's all on survival skills yes have you considered going on that show yes i have yeah are you gonna see if you can get on the next season or anything like that um i've put an application in awesome that's so cool because javier said he would want to do it too i think it sounds like there's a lot of outlast participants that would like to go on that show it would be really cool to have a the next and i think there's quite a few of us that actually have real survival skills that would yeah actually do well I think so too. I, I honestly think alone. Um, I mean, I got along really well with Joel mm-hmm. and given the chance, I think Javier and I would have worked really well together. Um, and actually I got along great with Seth and Angie and Nick. I never had any issues with them whatsoever. Um, Brian, I liked Brian from the moment I met him. Um, and of course you're being told, you know, out there, some of these people, you only get to see them for maybe five minutes. So you don't know too much about them. Mm-hmm. So everything you're being told about them is being told to you by other people. Like Paul told me more about Angie. I didn't get to meet Angie until I think like probably the end of the f- second week, maybe. And, you know, Paul was telling me stuff about Angie and, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? She's cool. (laughs) So maybe it was just gameplay, you know, to get me not talking to the other team. I don't know. But um, yeah, Angie was, Angie was a blast. Um, Seth, I got along with Seth. I met him actually um, when my airplane landed in Seattle. I picked Seth out in the airport and figured that he was one of them. I had all these people picked out on the airplane heading to Alaska. <laughs> That's funny. So the the interaction with Javier then, when you and Joel, like Joel was out on the raft, you were still on your side and you were like, we're done. And then you get over there and then Javier is like, okay, listen, we'll go get the sleeping bags. And he genuinely talked to you guys into staying successfully. Oh, yeah. And you guys yeah, were we both would, like, all right, fine, you're right. We would 100% stayed with Javier. That's what we said there. And but, but production like, well, was like, right, no, you guys, guys said it. Yeah, we did. And we did. They, okay. they clarified the other side. But the rule was you were out when you shot your flare gun, not when you said, I'm done. You guys hadn't shot your flare guns yet. You should have pulled out the flare gun and been like, you see this? You see this? Did I shoot this? No, I didn't think so. So I'm going to go hang out with Javier and you're going to go back to doing we, your job. We tried this. <laughs> horseshit so horseshit i mean i'm happy with how the show ended up because the 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 demon squad didn't win so that's nice (laughs) but i just i really really wanted to see you and joel with javier and see what you guys could have done i think that was would have been unstoppable honestly because i think i think we all had really good skills and we all realized that you have to work as a group out there to survive and you do have to i mean i think i heard javier say it too it's you gotta be you got to do the bare minimal to survive Mm -hmm. you you survive you you know that was what joel and i were doing we were like we got to save our energy we got to save our calories we got to eat we'd go out every morning and graze along the banks joel and i would we would go out together we would take our cups you know we had little tin cups that you'd get water in and we'd go out and get our water and we'd drink like three four cups of water in the morning and then we'd go graze and i mean that's basically i don't know any other word for it we'd be eating 
you know, seaweed, we'd be eating sea asparagus, we'd be eating all sorts of stuff that we could find. And we'd graze until we were full. And then we'd come back and drink a couple more cups of water. And then we would go about our daily chores. What I find so interesting with that is like, you have these skills of identifying these things that you can eat. And I, I don't have any of that. And like watching the alone show, I learned you could eat plantain and <laughs> I was looking around on the, my lawn at home and I was like, oh, hey, that's that's plantain. I can eat that dandelion. I can eat dandelion oh, yeah. like dandelion. You can do anything with a dandelion. Same way. Like I made I made a bark uh, crackers out there. So I took a bunch of bark and dried it out and crushed it down into flour and made crackers. And so they weren't really good, but <laughs> you could have survived off of them. <laughs> I think there was a seasonal alone where a guy couldn't find any food. And so he ate bark because it was like the only thing he could find, but he ate way too much of it and got like super constipated. And my thing is, you know, I think, um, what's the, what's the Australian guy in the one movie? Um, Crocodile Dundee. He's yeah. like, well, you can live on it, but it tastes like shit. That was kind of like the bark crackers. You can you can live on them, but they taste like shit. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that's fair. So, how did you when it came when you're rewatching it? How did you feel about the uh, outrun challenge at the end of the show? I thought it was stupid. Yeah, why did you think that was stupid? <laughs> because it seemed like to me, it's it, it, that's not what I was thinking. I wasn't explained i thought we were supposed to outlast each other um so i actually thought we were supposed to be out there until people were gone mm -hmm. so that's the way i went into it if i was out there and they would have handed me that and said now we're gonna run for a challenge i would have been like this is bullshit mm -hmm. <laughs> so you would have been pissed off if you were of the last two teams i would have because i was like i thought you were supposed to outlast each other but maybe maybe they were finding that they had too many um amenities too many comforts i mean that's kind of like with the sleeping bags you know you can survive out there forever if you have fire in a sleeping bag and a source of food yeah but i think the problem is a source of food right i think when i was talking to paul he was saying that their team had like a month and a half of food that they were going to be okay whereas he was pretty sure and i haven't talked to team alpha yet but excuse me he was They're pretty sure like they went rotten yeah if you in the picture like i don't think they save their fish no i i think he was saying that i think it was i think it was javier was saying that the their the fish swim up there to like lay their eggs or fertilize or something and then yeah. they just die it's long that fish is already dying yeah so like that those coho salmon i mean like i i was told that they probably weren't biting very many hooks at that point when their nose gets so extended they're probably more snagging them than anything huh. and um because one of my friends here locally he actually grew up on that island and so he said like yeah he's like once those coho salmon they those nose start getting like that they're not really good eating anymore so i mean the trout and stuff you could live off that trout you know yes. all long smoke it too. and preserve it yeah and, yeah 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 so i mean i i feel like they probably would have come to like outlasting team alpha i'm sure they would have eventually and uh i don't know it, the the result was the same in the end right when I ended up doing the outrun i'll be interested to get jill's take on it if i ever actually get her on but well, uh, the funny thing is too if you look at it I mean, you got to go back and look. Look at all the weight that everybody lost. I think Nick fared fairly well. I think Seth did okay. Um, you know, I lost 24 pounds, which is pretty good. Um, I mean, you're you're I I gained weight to go on. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> Yeah, most people did. Yeah. Um Javier didn't lose a ton of weight. Um, you know, 
you can tell the people who were thriving versus just surviving. Yeah. Javier was saying that him and Brian were good. He's like, me and Brian were hanging yeah. out. We were chilling. We were well fed. Yeah. And that's kind of Joel and I were like, we can sit here and survive forever because we've got water. We've got food sources. We got fire. Mm -hmm. Like, and once we got the that bag, we were good because we were like, maybe Javier should come over here. But had we known maybe, maybe like hindsight, if we could have done something different, we would have convinced him to come to us instead of us to him. Yeah, I think he was saying that one of the reasons why he wanted you guys on his side was because you had like more access to muscles or something like that. Like it was easier to get food on that side. Oh, and he had a really nice, um, he had a really nice fort. Yeah. You know, he was, he was prepared. Like if we were going to go into the winter, we didn't know at that point what we were supposed to do. I mean, we were told we could be out there until the end of November. I, so I find it hilarious that you called it a fort. <laughs> it's, it's just such a child way of saying <laughs> It's just so funny. Yeah, I mean, it's totally a fort. It's true. It's hilarious. People are like shelter and survival situations or whatever. And you're like, you had a cool fort. I love it. <laughs> you guys are building with pillows and blankets. It's great. We may have grown up building forts in the mountains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Shelter was it snowed, you built a shelter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to that outrun challenge, I mean, it's really the same thing at the end of the day because your ability to outrun is based on how well fed you were up to that point, oh. right? And like how much energy you can output, how well you can perform cognitively to be able to navigate, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that showed in the result at the end. Definitely. But I, I do wonder, like, if you had given them two more weeks or another week, mm -hmm. how they would have performed if they would have been, you know, if the girls would have had enough food. I mean, Jill's a pretty good scavenger. I will say that about her. She's she's pretty good at foraging and stuff. And mm -hmm. and I noticed that when I first met her, um, she's she's always, you know, she's always touching plants to her lips and she's always, you know. She seems to always be on top of things. I noticed that when I very first met her. Mm -hmm. But So what are these, what else were you talking about? I think you were talking about like behind the scenes stuff that went down. Uh, just some, some of those kind of things, you know, just some of the things that people don't get to see that happens behind the scenes, those kind of things. Like when we were, we were in there and there was a lot of stuff going on. I mean, you have, you have Charlie team on one side, you have Alpha team down in their thing. Um, you have Javier and Joel and I over here, you have production everywhere. Um, you know, it was crazy. It, that day, there was so much going on behind the scenes that you don't get to see. I mean, there were conversations about conversations about conversations. And there were, you know, bear guards, you know, we when Joel and I said, we're gone, we're not going to play this game. Um, you know, we had bear guards crying and giving us hugs, you know, before oh. we left. And, um, you know, it was it was really a lot of fun because we didn't get to know our bear guards. I mean, you you do get to know who those people are, you know. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so there was just a lot of stuff behind the scenes that nobody gets to see that, uh, you know, I couldn't sum it up for you any more than saying there was camaraderie built between production, between your your um, cameraman, like, you know, we built a really good rapport with our cameraman. He was a neat guy, um, amazingly talented guy. But, um, you know, so as we're saying we're gone, <laughs> you know, there's there's tears from this side and there's, you know, Angie over here, you know, when I go to, you know, and I'm saying, take our stuff, take this from our camp, you know, and I'm handing this to Angie and, you know, you're getting hugs from Angie and hugs from Seth. And, you know, you, you don't get to see the camaraderie that actually was built behind the scene, yeah. but there 
was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that went on that day. And it was a hectic day. And, you know, I don't think they let me shoot my flare because I think they knew I would have pointed it towards Alpha Camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah. What... I have a feisty attitude. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, I can I, I can gather that much. That's uh, apparent. When it comes to the rewatching and Justin being taken on by Charlie Camp, when it was like ne right near the end, and then shortly after they had that whole discussion and they found out that Justin cut up the tarps and they were like, oh no, we draw the line there. What was your what were your thoughts on that? Well, my first thing was I actually cheered for Justin ripping up those tarps. <laughs> I literally was like, hell yeah, cut them all up, throw them in the river, throw them in the sleep bags in too. <laughs> so, that was the first time during the whole show I was literally cheering for Justin. Plus, I felt kind of bad for the guy. Like, he just told him on national TV that he shit himself. And they're like, it's like, the guy, do you think a guy is going to say that if, like, it's not real? Yeah. I mean, he, you you just totally, like, blew over the fact that this just happened to him. I mean, like, at least show a little bit of sympathy. Like, dude go clean yourself or something like that. Yeah. Like, I mean, and he's like, I have to put on these underwear. I mean, like now you're wearing some guy's underwear that, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It did not seem like a story that was made up. It's something that's like, obviously nobody's going to admit to that unless it's genuinely happening. And in addition yeah. to that, it totally adds up with what you and Javier are saying about that co-host Salmon being bad. Yeah. And then the poor guy. So he does that. And then they're still like, they're like, they're attacking him. I mean, like, uh, at that point, I was team Justin mm -hmm. and I'm the one like wrote on the rock justice for justin yeah. you know so i'm like now i'm team justin you know at the very end and i'm like i i actually kind of hoped they were gonna keep him honestly at that point and i know that sounds really bad because he stole our sleeping bags but at that point i actually was like it was his it, it was his camp at that point i mean it, what's the difference from him taking our sleeping bags and you know leaving us out there to die in a real survival situation or cutting up a tarp yeah. i mean he didn't get our sleeping bags he just cut up a tarp you can live without a tarp mm -hmm. so like, well i think that's a really good point and that's something that i thought about was that they were like they knew that justin stole yours and joel's sleeping bags and they were like that's fine we're gonna take you on and then they find out that he cuts up the tarp and they're like oh no we draw we draw the line there and i'm kind yeah. of like what the hell's the difference between those two things there's you know? nothing no and then the other thing that really confused me was at the very beginning they very clearly stated although they didn't have a lot of rules on this show one of the rules they said was there will be no voting off and they had already taken him on and accepted him on their team so to then say no you gotta go seems kind of like bullshit that they they were even allowed to do that at all yeah i kind of agree there like i wonder if maybe i mean like i'm totally guessing here but i wonder if maybe production didn't come in or something and say like hey you wrecked maybe they built a rule or something about it after we left and after you know wrecking other people's forts maybe something was made there and it was going to be handed down to the whole team or something i don't know yeah but that was the only thing i could go with because i'm like you know i don't know at that point you you convinced justin across you weren't going to it wasn't like you were going to um you weren't gonna gain anything getting rid of him except for to get rid of him mm -hmm. so i mean and you know we would have taken him on when we were there we were we talked about it i mean like if we would have taken justin on it, whatever he did before was just like you kind of washed away as mm -hmm. long as you know you're, you're team delta now it doesn't matter like 
you know, we don't play by those rules. Yeah, that like, would have been super interesting. Like you and Joel and Javier and Justin getting on a team and then you guys matched up against Seth and Nick and Paul and Angie. Like, yeah, well, the thing, the thing with Javier is Javier is a strong guy. I mean, that man is like, you know, he's a big guy. He's a monster. And, yeah. And Justin is he's like black belt. He's he's a wiry little guy. I don't think you would have been able to get him to quit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he would have been all heart. And um, I think that's why I appreciate him so much, you know, even though, you know, yes, he stole our sleeping bags, but it was a game play. Mm-hmm. And you know what? In the game, it was a game play. Was it dirty? Yeah. Would I have done it? No. But, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what I find so fascinating is like you clearly, very few people have so far out of this have come out with too much of a positive outlook on Jill and her behavior and her character. And so far with our conversation, I feel like it's safe to say that your perspective lines up with that at least a little bit. And yet Justin was the one, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but Justin was the one that stole your sleeping bags. And you're just got nothing but nice things to say about Justin. <laughs> and so I, I just, can you elaborate on that for me? Okay, so here's my thought, okay? So we're out there, we're playing a game. Everybody is out of their element. You're away from your family. You're not, you're a different version of yourself. When I went out there to survive, I put every other thought process out of my mind. I put myself into survival mode. It was the only way you can take away that um, easy out, you know, and you say, doesn't matter. I'm going to survive. I'm going to survive. 110% I'm going to win this game. That's me telling myself, you know, we can do this, Don. You know, things suck. You want to like, you know, you want to walk off into the woods and just sit down and, and ball because you miss your daughter. You miss your home. You miss this. You're missed up. But if it was a plane crash, if it was a, you know, boat wreck, if it was survival, you have to put yourself in that situation. Those games can't be real for people. And if you don't put yourself in those situations. So I put myself in that situation. I put myself in that real survival situation. Like I was out there to survive. And Joel and I talked about that many, many nights. And so I think Justin, um, talking to him afterwards, because I've, I've reached out and I've talked to Justin afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to Amber afterwards. And I've even talked to Joel. But um, the thing with Justin is Justin is Justin is exactly who he tells you he is. There's no bullshit. He says, I still just sleep in bags. Was it a dirty mood? Yep, but I did it. And, you know, I mean, like, I can appreciate that. I can honestly appreciate a person that just walks up and says, sorry, it was a game. I was trying to get rid of you guys. You guys were the strong team. They didn't know that we had lost Paul. But, you know, what they thought is we were still three strong. Mm -hmm. And we were in their heads because within a half an hour, we had our fire started. Within, you know, we kept our fire started every single day. We kept our fire started all through the night for the first little while. We were in their heads and we didn't even know it. So, uh, and, and, you know, okay, maybe there was a little bit of play there that we were in their heads because we did get our fire going that fast and we knew we were going to. Uh, but, you know, um, I don't have anything bad to say about Justin just because Justin does own up for what he did. He mm-hmm. says 100%. This was a game. I was playing a game strategic move at that point. Mm-hmm. So. But- I want, I want outside to... the game, he's been awesome. So you're saying outside the game, he's been awesome as well. Yeah. So talk to you and stuff. He's been, he's been a stand-up guy outside the game. He's been funny. He's been, you know, he takes everything in stride. 
So allow me to kind of summarize that a bit, if if you would. You're, is it safe to say that Justin's um, humility, as in uh, his ability to take ownership for his actions and his honesty, although like stealing is, it doesn't dishonest. sound like is dishonest, but he's at least honest with his dishonest actions. I think right? there's some some there, yeah. Right, <laughs> and that the that although stealing seems like something that you wouldn't classify as in integrity he at least has the integrity to admit to his actions being less than integral <laughs> in a roundabout way you hit it <laughs> right it, it's it's weird but you're you're kind of laying out these behaviors and these acknowledgments of these behaviors to be I know. what gives him the positive quality it's that he does these he has done these things that some people might frown upon but he's like yeah i did that and yeah that was the play and it was a game and yeah it wasn't good but that's what i was wanted to do i wanted to win and it's and so that is where the positive perspective about his character comes is from the honesty about his dishonesty <laughs> yeah as crazy as that sounds i mean you have to take it for what it is but yeah. then you have like you know you have you know jill going over here i didn't say cut your throats i didn't want your throats because i was talking about the fish i i didn't want your throats cut um you know and it's like um no honey i went back and rewatched it that's what you sorry well, it's okay <laughs> and so it's like no honey that's what you said and it wasn't taken out of context and then you know we're paid actresses no we're not paid actresses i mean like i didn't go hey let's go with a writer's guild or an acting guild i'm not a paid actress i went out there i was i i applied for a reality tv show yes it is reality tv but you know it's still there has to be you are either you or you're not you and you know and when you hit the real world you're either going to own up to who you were or you're going to lie about it and i think you know if for Amber, Amber's, Amber's kind of, you know, I talked to Amber a few times and, and, um, you know, I think she's, uh, she's just like, oh yeah, this was fun. This was exciting, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, and then out of the blue, I get hit with Jill, you know, and it's like, it's like, oh, you got to get on the bandwagon. I'm like, sweetie, I don't want on any wagon you're driving. <laughs> so what is it about Amber? If we, if we just pin down what it is about Justin that is so likable, what is it about Amber that's so dislikable? Is it this flip-flopping back and forth where she says something and then says something Jill. different? Amber or Jill? Jill. Uh, okay. Um, you know, I think with Jill is I tried to give her a chance that this was a TV persona that she was playing, but it's gone to the point that it's like, you know, now like you either, you either tell it the way I tell it or you're wrong. I've given you a chance to jump on the bandwagon. Now you don't want on it. And then what was her comment by Felicia? And I'm like, sweetie, I don't want on any bandwagon you're driving. And she's like, you, what she said, she said, I'm a two-faced person because I won't um, get on the, on the bandwagon with her. So was this like and a I'm, group chat or what was? No, this was on her, one of her, on, on one of her posts oh, okay. um, on Instagram or something. I blocked her. <laughs> okay. I don't need that. Well, she doesn't and even have comments and enabled on anything anymore. So and that's the other thing. It's like, if you're going to do something, Justin has his commenting people come back at him and he like post him and he's like all my haters and i'm like you know what how can you hate somebody who just like wears he it is, yeah he is who he is like he's like yep i did that but like you know i don't know if you ask me did you and paul get in it 
argument. Yes, we didn't see eye to eye. Are we different people? Yes. Are we completely butted heads out there a few times? Yep. Do I have partial blame? Yep. Do I have all the blame? No. Like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I'm going to tell you straight, straightforward. You know, were we wrong about Charlie Camp stealing our bags? Yep. You know, were we pissed at Justin for stealing our bags? Yep. <laughs> Um, but you know what? It, it, it was a game at that point. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a game where we were sitting. I mean, when your sleeping bags are gone and you're going hypothermic, it's not a game. Yeah, no, it's not. Because like that's that's something that I thought about was them taking your sleeping bags in nighttime and you're in Alaska. I'm like, yeah, okay, it's a game. But at the same time, like it's not like they have a hospital right next door. Like you guys are a duration out from serious health care. Right? And it sucked. I will tell you, it sucked. Like I literally went as close to hypothermic as you could probably get that one night without. I mean, like if it wasn't for Joel. You know, and we, I probably would have. I was so cold the next morning. Like, I still was shaking by the time the sun started coming up. I couldn't get, I couldn't stop shaking. So, Joel got a fire started, like just roaring, so I could get some hot water in me. I was like, I have to get hot water. I have to heat it up. I got to get my core warmed up. So, I'm sitting there and I finally get a a cup boiling and I go to pick it up and I'm shaking so bad. I shook the whole cup and the water put out my fire. I just broke down. I literally just broke down in tears. I was just like, they probably have footage of me literally just like my head and my hands just crying as hard as I can. I'm shaking. It's just like, like the lowest of the low moment out there, you know? But, you know, you kind of like, you know, I, we got out of there and I said, OK, I've had my pity party. Let's suck it up and let's go. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And, you know, we left on our own our own two feet. We left because we chose not to play the game the way it was being played anymore. And I really have no regrets. I do feel bad about not staying with Javier just because um, he lost out his chance because we decided to take the road we took. So um, I wish they would have kept him on Charlie team or at least brought him on. That would have been a good thing, but you know. Yeah, kind of is what it is. I think that's I, I think that's a perfect note to wrap up on. We're we're kind of coming up on two hours here. This has been awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know it flies right when you're having fun conversation. At least, um, yeah. I wish you guys had have gotten on with Javier and stuff too. That would have been really cool. And seeing the three of you get it done, maybe pick well, up Justin and Joel and I have some stuff in the works. Um, you know, we have. Um, I don't know if if you can plug it or not, but we actually have a um spot fund going on right now okay um called buy me a shot of whiskey and so um it's basically just to fund our adventures and filming that we're going to start doing that you and joel are going to start doing yep nice so so you guys are going to do like a youtube channel we don't know yet we're going to do we're we're working on whether it's going to be youtube or what we're going to do with it yet but um yeah we're going to start we're going to start doing some stuff um hopefully we can jump javier in and he can join us on a few of them yeah well i think javier is going and he's taking brian on a bike ride yes javier does some of his distance rides and him and brian are going to go on one and they're going to video it and put it up on youtube so that'd be pretty cool yes is there anything else that you want to plug no that's that's pretty much it they can follow me i'm mostly on instagram right now i've jumped onto instagram my my 18 year old showed me instagram that's good (laughs) 
<laughs> um, that's basically the best way to find me right now. Yeah. Um, and that's at author Don Nelson. Okay. Um, actually, before you go, I do have one question that I try to ask everyone. If you imagine the human consciousness as a little man inside your brain looking at a computer screen, right? And you know, people put sticky notes on their laptop to remind them of things. If you could write something on a sticky note and that sticky note would appear in the consciousness of all people in the world all at once, what would you write on that sticky note? Be kind. Be kind. Good choice. Yeah. Or at least... I work in healthcare. <laughs> Or at least be honest if you're going to not be kind. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's good. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I think that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I yeah. mean, we got so wrung out in time, but I totally lost track of it. No, I'm, I loved it. Like, I, I honestly prefer episodes to go at least two hours because, I mean, we got through like a full whole story, right? We got through some real stuff rather than... Just little bits and pieces. Hey, thanks. Bye. See you later. Well, and I think Outlast is such a small part of who the contestants really are. Exactly. I mean, you know, nobody knows what we've been through, what our lives are like, you know. I mean, they don't know. You know, I've tried to go on and, and tell people a little bit more about me, but I'm also not really a very um, public person. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I stick to myself and I work I work at a hospital. So, um, you know, life gets busy and and, you know, it's it's hard to bring people into your life because when you open up your life for other people to come into, usually it also opens them up um, to see flaws. And um, my whole right arm is complete scars. So, um, yeah, I don't usually let a lot of people very close to me. What, so. what do you mean your right arm is complete scars? Jesus. I am com yeah, I'm complete scars from an, um, um, from an accident that I had while working. And so, um, yeah, it's um, it eats away my flesh all the way down to the bone and tendons and stuff sometimes. So, yeah, like, I mean, I've got eight years dealing with that. And you kind of learn, like, I used to be a really outgoing person, you know, back when I was really pushing books and stuff. And when I got injured, you just learn that people, people are different. You know, people see somebody with an injury or they see somebody with something that they think is gross looking and, and they steer away from it. They shy off of it. You know, they, um, I get a lot of people that say, oh, you shouldn't be here. Like I've been kicked out of restaurants before for scars on my arms. What? Um, you know, they're open and they're open sores, but they're covered with the stuff I have to cover them with, but they're clear. And people are like, you're going to have to leave. Like people don't like the looks of your hand. People don't like the looks of your, you know, and it's like, I've been in a cast for almost eight months. This is the first time I've got a cast off and you're kicking me out of a restaurant because I actually am out eating now. And I'm like, even Barbie has seams. So Okay, well, maybe we're not wrapping this up. What the hell is going on with your arm? Had you got like a flesh eating disease or what? So I was injured um, while I was working at the prison and it pulled my wrist apart. And so a dirty instrument was used when they, um, they did the surgery and it gave me a disease under my skin that eats my flesh away. So it's so, a flesh-eating disease. Yeah. So, and this was I from have, the surgeon. Yeah. So anytime I have an injury to my arm or something that'll open it up like deep, it eats down. Um, it's actually it's called pyoderma gangrenosum, and so it eats down to bone flesh. You don't know if it's going to stop eating. So yeah. So how does that get resolved? It doesn't. It's something I'll live with forever. But 
this is another thing that like, people don't realize that I was living with out there. Like I'm deathly allergic to nylon on this side from where my surgeries were. So like if nylon made me break out. So I had actually a breakout out there that nobody really gets to know about because I didn't want to get sent off, sent off the island. <laughs> but yeah, so I had a breakout and like, you'll see, I don't know if you can see, like this is, this is like one breakout that okay, ate down yeah, yeah. So like it ate all the way down. For those of you just and listening, like, she just showed like kind of on her right bicep a little, uh, maybe maybe a quarter size scar. Yeah. So that one ate all the way down, so you can see tendons and stuff. Whoa. So like yeah, it's like nylon, and they gave me nylon sleeping bag out there, so I had to change it for this other sleeping bag because like couldn't touch the nylon. So like. <laughs> Like if you could have seen, because see, I don't have, I don't have movement to my wrist. So, so your no, your wrist can't extend or flex. Yeah, I have a little bit of back, but I have no down at all, and I don't have a lot of. Um, I have like I have a little bit of feeling in this finger. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I have no feeling in my hand. So for people just listening, she's referencing her index finger. She's got a little bit of feeling, but not much other feeling in your hand at all. Yeah. So like, um, you know, when it came to like hunting and stuff, I'm a, I'm a very avid hunter. But, you know, Paul wanted to hunt. It was kind of like it was best to let him hunt. I'm a very avid trapper. I've trapped my whole entire life. Um, you know, I run 30, 30 snare trap lines and conobar traps all winter long for coyotes and deprivation. And, um, but you know, you kind of have to stand back. I don't think people realize like when they're talking about how much we butted heads, I don't think they realize how much give and take there actually was between Paul and I and a lot of the things. And that's why I do respect him in a lot of that because Mm -hmm. there was a lot of give and take out there in the very beginning, in the first few weeks. I honestly think because you've talked about talking to so many different participants post-show, and I believe Paul said that you were the only one that he hadn't heard from. And I really think that you guys should get in touch because neither of you have anything bad to say about each other. When you're (laughs) not in a situation where you're in a camp side by side and you're like trying to survive together, I think you guys might be able to squash the beef and like let bygones (laughs) be bygones and have a civil conversation. And honestly, I kind of just left it up to him. I figured if he wanted to reach out because, um, you know, he was he was upset with me when Mm -hmm. and and I think he thought I was upset with him. And in the show, when we left, (laughs) I may not have been the nicest when I walked out. (laughs) I might get rid of Paul and keep Javier. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, I I may be responsible partly. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well, maybe you should reach out to Paul and have a conversation with him and see how that goes, just to kind of level the playing field. Because you guys are both wonderful people. I've enjoyed the conversation with both of you immensely. Um, So this, uh, how much, uh, actually, uh, this is my personal trainer coming out. And I, I really like, uh, mobility is like my thing. So how much like stretching and movement stuff have you been doing with that wrist? Um, For eight years, I did physical therapy like three to four times a week mm-hmm. and then they put me in some kind of machine that forced it down mm-hmm. but it still wouldn't force it so then they were going to go in and um they were going to fuse my wrist at one point but i still have some backwards movement so mm-hmm. i don't want to fuse it yeah um, yeah don't don't do any of that stuff don't fuse it no so 
occasionally like it's just scar tissue holding it up that's all mm-hmm. it is um so occasionally it'll break because they had to cut off the whole top of my hand right here top, and put a, the top uh, of the back, back of her forearm he's she's referencing yeah. and they put a wound back in on and grew all that skin back wow that's crazy so, yeah jesus okay well so any- that's right i think you'll see like an interview or something where i talk about you know like this was after my surgery in um the end of March, beginning of April of that year, that was like my first real comeback. Like that was the first thing I've ever really done in like 10 years or so since I was injured. Huh. So that was like me proving to myself that I was still just as tough as I ever was. So yeah, I think you, you know, proved that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Good for now, you. Now I want to go survive out in the wilderness. Now I'm like, can somebody just drop me off somewhere? Well, you applied for a loan. So hopefully they take you on. <laughs> I know. I might have to uh, like apply for Survivor too. Not that I know really want to do another social one. Yeah, but... I was gonna say that's like another social bullshit show. And I'd probably get kicked off. He'd probably be like, "No, you're not allowed to talk anymore." Yeah, you'd be trying to shoot people with rubber arrows and shit. Okay. Just is... me. What can I say? <laughs> do you have any uh, final words for our listener? No, not really. It's okay. been great, guys. And it's thanks for thanks for staying in here and listening to us. And I really appreciate. And um, yeah, reach out anytime. I got way more stories I can tell you about survival. <laughs> I, I believe it. That's awesome. I really appreciate your time, Don. Thank you so much. Hey, you listening to this right now. You. Yes, you. I appreciate that you've listened to it this far. That's awesome. And that means that you at least enjoyed it or else you would have stopped it and went and done something else and it would be really cool if you could share it with someone i'm sure you know somebody that might also enjoy it so just you know hit the little share button and there'll be like a link you can copy and you can just text it to your bff jill i don't know if you know a jill i don't know just somebody just share it with one person and i will be forever grateful thank you Have a great day.